Hi everyone and welcome back to Constant Writers, the podcast where I talk to indie horror authors about them, their work and their relationship with Stephen King. My name's Dave Musson, I'm at Dave Musson on Instagram. I'm your host for this podcast and I'm incredibly excited in this episode to bring you another of my favourite authors, possibly my favourite new author discovery, at least new to me, of 2022 and that is the wonderful Rowan Hill. She writes stories that just seem to get under my skin and I cannot recommend her work highly enough. In this chat, we're going to talk a bit about how she got into reading, how she got into writing, her relationship with Stephen King, and it's an interesting one because she's far from, by her own admission, far from the biggest King fan, but is very, very aware of how much King influences her as a horror writer and the genre as a whole. So it's a of a different chat to what we've had previously but very interesting all the same and then we get on to rowan's king book of choice which is the fantastic firestarter from 1980 so we hear a bit more about why rowan likes that one so do check the links in the description to find links to rowan's work you'll also find links to some of my things you can support so sign up to my newsletter and pick up a copy of the ultimate Stephen king quiz book and i'll see you back at the end just to round this off and say bye. But for now, it's the fantastic Rowan Hill. So Rowan, welcome to Constant Writers. How are you doing? Uh, like, I, like I said before, I'm very nervous. This feels like a test. I know it's not, but um, yeah, let's get into King. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not a test. I know you know that yourself, but um, but yeah, we're gonna, we are going to get to King, but we'll start by talking about you and hopefully that will that will help the nerves like float away a little bit. Um, and to be honest, I'm probably more keen to hear about you and your story anyway. Like the King stuff is interesting and, and obviously the people watching and listening to this want to know the King stuff, but I think there's a lot to go through with you. So I'm going to start with the question I'm asking everyone on, on this, um, on this series. Like I'm interested in your, your origin story as, as a, as a writer and a reader, I guess, like what, what was your motivation to get into doing all of this? My stuff? villain, my villain origin story <laughs> one. Uh, I would probably say that my starting out was just my dad, like, uh, I grew up in the era where people were starting to get VCRs in their home, right? And so suddenly you could watch movies whenever you wanted. My dad was just like a big horror fan, just left me alone all the time. <laughs> very, very, like, should have called Child Protective Services, <laughs> honestly. Um, and that's how I kind of was introduced into horror. I think I, my first memory is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I was left in that room mm-hmm. with that movie. <laughs> and uh, in terms of books, I was the very uh, traditional R.L. Stein kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't move into the Fear Street when I uh, became a teenager. Uh, I went into uh, fantasy because that's what my dad had on the bookshelf. And I was... Uh, lord of the rings uh kind of person i remember i will always remember the first scary thing i read that was like meant for adults was frodo in the barrow white like and that like creeping hand searching for him so i kind of grew up in the fantasy and then just did my own thing for like 10 or 15 years until i was in a place between countries and jobs and uh i got an idea it was like 2015 and it was the refugee crisis was happening in syria and i got a pretty uh ahead of this like shot to the head about um like well we're treating these refugees terribly like what if we treated aliens like this and i think district nine was about to come out then and uh, yeah, I kind of got this story in my head and I made it up all in one night and then I started to write it after uh, in and out over two years. And then I think in 2018, I got serious with writing. So that's like oh, my journey to horror and writing is very dis- it's all over the place. But um, I found out I liked writing horror a lot more than any other genre. I mean, you you mentioned being all over the place, and like I was reading, I, I think I've got these the right way around. You California born and Australian raised, is that right? You pulled that off my website, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, yeah, you know how, to, how 
Yeah, so that's a lot of moving around, a lot of, a lot of traveling, but some very, some very distinct places as well. Like, do they do they infiltrate your work at all? Like those uh, those two settings. Yeah, look, that like one sentence is a very condensed way. <laughs> that's like it's very frustrating when people ask me, you know, where you're from. And th- I recently just moved to America, and it's the first time I've actually lived in America as an adult. All right, so what's the question was how is it infiltrated? So I have lived pretty much over the world, and that is due to my, like, I feel like that is the thing about Australians, is Australians move around quite a lot, especially to other, um, like, I'm sure you know several Australians living in Britain, right? We're, yeah. we're like... I'm, you know, I'm, into rug- I'm into rugby league, so I, I encounter a lot of Australians over here. Yeah. Um, and to answer your question, yes, all the time. It infiltrates my work all the time. It's quite a useful tool Mm. when you are trying to think like what can set your story apart is like you put it in a different location and I have been to many locations Mm. um you know to live and also just I was a big traveler when I was younger and that is very helpful like I I don't think I've set any two stories in the same location. I mean, that, that brings me nicely to how I first came across your work, actually. So the first thing I read of yours was um, They Eat People You Know, in the Slice of Paradise anthology from the start of 2022, which was my favourite of that entire collection. I memory serves me correctly, that was American characters in Australia. Yeah, that's really nice of you yeah. to say. Thank you. Well, I stories. Yeah, it's, I, it was one of... I really did enjoy reading and I was just I was just catching up on what you'd done this year in preparation for our chat and it it feels like that's almost sparked a bit of a purple patch for you this year in terms of you getting stories out there and but certainly your shorter work has been hitting a lot of publications this year like is that is that like just is that just everything coming together at once is that is that a lot of hard strategic planning going into this and it and it all paying off like how's how's that year worked out for you it's very strange you say that. I feel 2022 has been my least successful year. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, I've heard several other authors say that. Um, no, there is no planning. There is no, uh, there is no grandmaster plan when it comes to short stories. It is just whatever you have and whatever anyone accepts. Yeah, I have several longer the thing with short stories is that they move fast like it's you see a call and you maybe have at most you have like a month to get it in and then publication will be longer uh or like not sorry not shortly after it'll be like two or three months until it gets published but um with long i have I have two or three long pieces that I'm trying to sell right now, and that's just a longer game. It takes a lot longer to sell those. So, like you say, you say that it, you know I've been blooming this year, but not really. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I know. I mean, I've, I've, I've been, I've been having a, a stab at sort of the the short story anthology game this year, and yeah, I get, I get what you mean. I get, I guess a lot of what we're seeing as a as a viewing public this year is probably acceptances you've had maybe months mm-hmm. even from last year and that so I, I was curious like your approach to the to the anthology call like do you are you keeping an eye out for calls as a point of inspiration or do you just like see calls and go oh, i've got mm-hmm. something in i've got something in my locker that i could send to that or is or is it a mixture of both well i mean last year i would have said the first where i saw a call and got inspiration for it and I would have written for that call Mm -hmm. and I discovered that that is such a good way to get burned out Mm. it's a good way to get burned out it's a good way to get upset um and it's especially like if it's a very specialized call it is a good way to like have a trunk story that may never see the light of day because who would like when is there going to be a call like that I've sold quite a few stories but for every one story I sold there was two that are still in my trunk and yeah so I did that approach at first and because I was 
use much more useful like a year or two years ago and I had a lot more I feel like I was creatively full in my bank I did it and but this year I I feel like I've grown as a writer and became better uh I don't know if that's true I feel it is <laughs> but so now I've learned that I unless I see a call and I immediately get like that burst of energy and excitement to write it I don't I'm not jumping for every call. It's too it's too exhausting. You put too much pressure on yourself. So now I just write short stories that I am passionate about and I take my time with them and I like I will usually have a publication in mind yeah. for a short story but I won't like I'll spread it out. And you've mentioned your longer works and and off the back of the short story of yours I read in the um, in the Slice of Paradise um, collection. I, I did go and check out In the Arctic Sun, which I, I, I really enjoyed that one as well. I thought the, particularly that sort of, that slow burn start you have, the atmosphere there was just, I don't know, there's something really, really oppressive about it and really dark that I really enjoyed. And then it just like explodes into that wild ending. Like what, what sort of reaction have you, have you had? Spoil it. <laughs> no, I won't. What's, what's, what's the reaction been, um, to that one. Oh, like public reaction? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, well, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was a small press who put it out. Um, and I don't think they did any uh, uh you know, wider marketing for it. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, is disappointing, but when like you can't really expect them to go guns blazing. Um I got great reviews for it and that's what I'm happy with. My friends told me that they liked it. My <laughs> Yeah, I think most of my family read it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well not just great reviews. I mean it's it's onto the Bram Stoker Awards yeah. ring on this. Like I, yeah. I, I, I was curious though, what does that actually mean? I, like... Yes. Yes. So the Bram Stoker Awards have several um several stages. So when someone, the reading list is just for Far Authors Association, like another member said, hey, I really like this book. And so she or he submitted it to the reading list. And that's just basically a very long list of books that other horror authors think you should read in um, in going forward with like submitting Bram Stokers. The next stage is coming up in a few weeks, and it's when if enough people have recommended your work, then you will make the preliminary ballot. Okay. And that is when you will have like a little feather in your cap. <laughs> um, so it's not, it's a, it's very nice when somebody recommends your work, but it's not a, it's not anything big. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. I'm curious to know, like, how you're just how you're finding, sort of, um, navigating the world of of I guess indie publishing in general. Because I think from what you've said so far, it feels like a mixture of like lots of fun stuff, but actually quite a lot of exhausting and quite draining points as well. It can be exhausting. I guess it depends on what you're in it for. If you're in indie publishing to go to the next stage then that is just more pressure on yourself and it can be it can be quite stressful um and disheartening sometimes it's definitely i would probably say the best thing indie publishing has given me is camaraderie with other writers and i've met some wonderful people but you know if you go into it with just i like to write i want to get my work out there then it is wonderful i mean it is it's definitely still challenging and i would say that a lot of it is based off of like so for instance i wrote a piece a very short piece a thousand words i thought it was really great i thought of a perfect publication where it was that same kind of quirky and that editor just didn't I wasn't wasn't for that editor and then mm. like same time send it off to another one 
And this person, editor, is like, I love this story. This is exactly, I. it resonated with me. I was in this particular situation as well. And this one editor kept it for like 10 months before publishing it. Um, yeah. That's how much she liked it. So I think it's just a matter of finding your the editor for the story. Mm. It's like a matching game. You got to try all around before you find somebody who likes your story and picks it up. Yeah, and I guess it, I guess it takes a while to to sort of do, do that networking really and, and start to understand what the landscape looks like. Because I know from my point of view, I I've put out a few things this year that, like you were saying earlier, I saw a call and it gave me that that spark of energy and wrote something that I was really pleased with. And then every time it's been like, nope, not for us. And then you're like, okay, well, I still feel something about this. So you try and put it out to other ones. And again, it's, it's, sort of, I've, I've sort of been doing my, my homage to Stephen King and his, like his wall spike of rejections. I've been, I've been, I've got a pinned Twitter thread of all of my, everything going on this year. And yeah, like there's been two acceptances for like 40 rejections or something, but I think, yeah, that was kind of gives me writing. Yeah, it's not I, writing, it's not your stories, it's just the person, like the editor for the story. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can see some of the other people I've spoken to have been like, you know, they sort of had a go at the the submitting approach and, and almost find it too disheartening, so just like really knuckle down and like totally take control of it themselves and just, just do their own thing. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's 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 a strange one, isn't it? It's like you know how how i guess how important is that validation from somebody else of your work very important to me i won't <laughs> i yes you absolutely hit the nail on the head is i do you want someone else to say hey yeah this is worth something mm -hmm. and my answer is yes i like have some sort of childhood trauma that makes me <laughs> say yeah i need somebody to like this and like put money on the table for it yeah yeah. yeah. No, and I think and it's and it's good it's good to know your worth and it's good to yeah, I think I think there's nothing wrong with that approach at all. So it, it, in light of all that then in terms of like how you're finding everything and what you've what you've got going on, like what, what are you what are you working on at the moment? What what you've got in store for twenty twenty three as we go through it? Much. <laughs> um, no, let's see. Uh so I am trying to I'm currently on my third edit of my longer a southern gothic uh, novel, mm -hmm. and I think it's worth something. I've had um, I've had a few agents ask for full requests, but I've heard so far that it's um, you know the premise is great, just didn't connect with my writing. So I'm like, well, how can I make my writing more compelling? Or, but I've stepped away from it for like a month just to kind of get my brain back uh and i'm a few short stories but i don't have anything so I, I think this is why i felt not very successful in 2022 yes. because half of my like the first half of the year was writing this story and i it took me one year to like plan write it edit and so then the next half like you know a third so far has been trying to sell it to um try to get agents interested and like just no fish are biting right now and had a lot of tugs on my line uh but yeah i mean nothing for 2023 that sounds really sad when i say it out loud <laughs> i'm sure something will come up something yeah to come up. <laughs> and by by the time this comes out there you might be in a whole new a new tidal wave of creativity yeah. and just like you just never know when it's going to hit do you i mean for, you know? for there are people behind the curtain. We are recording this sort of mid-November, so I think it, we're, we're approaching that point of the year where everyone is slumping and slowing down and stuff. I think it's I'm quite tired, man. Yeah. I moved. I moved this year. I moved from Italy to America. I wrote you oh. store. I wrote like, yeah, I've done. I've done a lot. Um, so right now, to answer your question, I'm just trying to sell my work right now. Mm -hmm. um, fingers crossed. Yeah. So yeah. Do. Yeah, I'm 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 sure it'll come good. Well, let's let's switch on to the other the other part of this this interview then. So, as you know, this this channel is a Stephen King channel, and we were chatting before we pushed record, and you mentioned when we started that you know you feel a little nervous about this, and you were almost saying that you're perhaps slight slightly daunted by my sort of Annie Wilkesness 
compared to where you are coming in when it comes to Stephen King. But I'm really curious that like you are you are a horror writer. And as I said to you before we started, like he he is the elephant in the room for any horror writer, whether you're a super fan or not. So for you, what what does Stephen King mean to you? What what sort of place does that hold in your heart? Yeah, look, you said, like I read this question and I was like, well, I'm not I wouldn't like introduce myself as a Stephen King fan. But then I was thinking, but I'm like, oh, bloody hell, the guy kind of permeates, like, horror culture. He's like, I mean, he's kind of like the godfather. I'm absolutely a godfather of um, horror. And so even if you do not consciously recognize his influence, he's definitely, like, got something, like a finger in your pie somewhere. Um, and so I would say probably my introduction to Stephen King was Firestarter, the movie. <laughs> That's because, like, as we said before, VCRs are coming, uh, you know, into homes when I was growing up. And, of course, I wanted to watch the kid from E.T., mm-hmm. um, you know. And so, I mean, I'm, I, I say it. Unfortunately, as an author, that I was not introduced to Stephen King by his writing, but his um, medium of movies. Yeah. And I don't think that's bad. I mean, it's definitely is shocking when you are like going, like, I've seen so many movies and then I don't find out till after that, oh, that was a Stephen King book, you know, and that was young. That was when I was younger. And Certainly, it's taking place a lot more, like, his short horror stories are, like, so, so many, so many. And, but they don't always get introduced, Stephen King's Children of the Corn or Stephen King's Mr. Harrigan's Bone. Um, You know, so I would say that that is how I was introduced. And so he's kind of like, you know, he was, he was the guy... Who wrote all the scary movies when I was yeah. a kid? See, and and you mentioned there that like, you know, you'd sort of say that pretty much any horror writer that there would be a, there is going to be a tinge of King influence somewhere on that person's writing. Like thinking of your own writing, can you see any impact that King has had on mm-hmm. on what you do? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about this too. I, I had like several different layered responses for this one. I would say I don't know. I don't think about king like no he doesn't come into my writing at all and i'm like oh well then there there was that time when i was looking for a beautiful like well-constructed sentences and the first line of it um Mm -hmm. is such a beautiful sentence maybe maybe the second half of the sentence more than the first one and if you can't recall do you do you yes the the line about the the Paper boat going down if it rains, swollen if rain. Yeah, I I can't do it verbatim either, but it is such a beautifully crafted sentence, like with the rolling um, vowels and soft L's. It's it's a wonderful sentence, and so I'm saying, damn it, yeah, he's he's a very good writer. I looked up I looked him up for that, and then I realized that um, his female villain protagonist i do a lot of um very female centered horror and where we make the females you know we do i like to toss the gender norms out and a lot of um my villains are the women yeah and uh i realized that heck that's like that's he made he made female villains like and he does a really great job of creating these characters who on any other like day you would say oh she should definitely be locked up like this girl has telekinesis and she killed like her entire class like no like throw away the key but he makes them the victims so you root for them. Like, first page of Carrie, you're like, oh, this poor girl. <laughs> oh, wait, she ends up killing everything. <laughs> like, yeah. she... So, and it's the same for a lot of his uh, female protagonists or maybe even antagonists. Ooh. I'm not sure, like, how you look at it. Um, and then 
then my other I mean I can't I can't really ignore this because it might come out in like 10 years is I actually like based an entire novel around a Stephen King parrot like a like the person Stephen King <laughs> right yeah yeah actually I can't really can't really ignore that one is that I actually wrote centered an entire 110,000 word southern gothic around a horror author <laughs> it's very much like Stephen King so yes I, I, was, I was also going to throw in I got big Gerald's game vibes at the start of In the Arctic Sun just again that sort of that that isolation that that slow burn that kind of that looming threat of something that was probably more because i just I, I just am looking out for little nods like that in anything i read but it definitely definitely seeped through for me so yeah there you go <laughs> cool. in terms of the king stuff then i've asked all of the guests on this series to pick one king release in particular to talk about in a little bit more detail and You've gone for Firestarter, which we already mentioned, and we'll, we'll get to that next question. But I know you had a couple of you had a couple of others that you were willing to throw into the ring as well. I think Carrie and Christine were the ones, if I remember correctly. So, like, yeah. So wait, okay, I have rethought this question because okay. there's another one which I don't think gets any acknowledgement because Stephen King did not; it was not adapted for a Stephen King. But have you ever watched? movie uh skinwalkers sleepwalkers sorry sorry sleepwalkers yeah oh yeah yes so that was stephen king's first screenplay right and i've never like it is such a gem (laughs) like mark hamill cameo like with with the mustache yeah very good yeah i was uh, I was actually guest on a on Psychotronica podcast a while ago, specifically uh-huh. talking about Sleepwalkers. Um, yeah, I have a lot of time for that movie. There is just it's like a treasure trove. It has everything for like young, horny teenagers. Mm-hmm. It has, and I think the thing I, I was also I've been I've been trying to formulate my thoughts quite a lot for this. The thing I think I really appreciate about Stephen King is how he creates his own monsters. So Sleepwalkers has... I'm sorry, I put down my pencil. That's fine. (laughs) Uh, Sleepwalkers has, you know, very vampire-like villains, like they're monsters, but they're not quite vampires, right? Yeah, they're also like a sort of weird werecat whose enemy is cats. Which yeah, is, yeah, you're right. <laughs> just a strange mix, isn't it? So he does he does a good job of like taking parts of monsters and making them into something new. <laughs> and I um I just yeah, like you asked me like what other books did you I'm like, yeah, you could talk about books or we could talk about like this thing that was so abnormal from his usual repertoire. That we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like it. So, so in terms of Firestarter, then, okay, King's King's well, that was like his first stab at, at sci-fi horror from 1980, and it's it's obviously the the story of Charlie McGee and her dad Andy on the run from the shop. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned you you sort of were at first exposed to it via the movie, but in terms of mm-hmm. the book, like what what made you pick Firestarter? For yeah, this? you know, I uh, I think because. I mean, all right, so why did it resonate with me? Well, I mean, obviously, I was, like, when I was introduced to it, I was a young girl, and this was kind of like an answer to, like, X-Men, kind of, I guess. Um, You know, this kid who has powers that she doesn't really want, that she can't really control, and she's being hunted. Um, So that's kind of how, like, it grouped in my mind. I'm always surprised whenever I pick the book back up by how long it is because mm. there's just pieces that I forget because it goes into a lot of detail about the shop and the agents that work on there. Uh, first of all, Andy McGee is like the ultimate great like American, like you would, he's a great dad, he's a great friend, he's a great husband. He like... 
you know, he does these terrible things against his will because he has, you know, he's the beggar who needs bread. He's hmm. the that has these powers who needs to escape. So he's a wonderful, a wonderfully written character that can't really do any wrong. I guess maybe that's his one fault is that he's never really bad until the end where he, uh, you know, pushes Charlie or to do that. Um, Charlie is ah, the best character uh, is, I mean, who, can I, who do you think? This is going to be subjective, but who do you think the best character in this novel is? I mean, yeah, I mean, best or favorite. I mean, mm. I mean, my favorite is, probably rainbird yes <laughs> right but Absolutely. like but charlie charlie is is fantastic but i mean so for me some some of the like the tiny characters i think probably because of the scenes they have are, are almost as memorable for me so like the um oh what's his name is it pincho the um the guy who, who cross-dresses and feeds his hand in feeds his hand into the garbage dispenser like that scene is just ingrained in my head through its gnarliness but yeah i think i think to answer your question i think rainbird it would be the one i would i would leap to immediately yeah i i agree Which, and you know there's nothing there's nothing wrong with saying charlie mcgee but uh she's uh she doesn't quite not until like when she's in the shop and she realizes that John, that Rainbird betrayed her. Does she really get any agency for herself? Like she, like the pawn, which is what they wanted for her. Um, but I, I certainly enjoyed her more when she like let go. Whereas, whereas Rainbird, there's like that. His obsession with wanting to see people's lights go out. That <laughs> that has always struck me, and and I reread it earlier in 2022 and so sort of preparation for the the remake movie coming out and i'd forgotten little details like his his collection of shoes and stuff like that he's just such a there's just so much to him that's unnerving and and ruthless i think he's yeah he's, he's a very um a, a very terrifying proposition i think in, t in terms of like memorable scenes then because I, I think there's a lot I, I, for me, I find Firestarter to be like lots of great scenes with like perhaps the bits in between that sometimes lose me a little bit. But the, where it's good, it is it's like shit pun intended, but it's smoking hot. You know, it's it is it is really good. Are there any scenes that really jump out to you as being favorites? You know, this book does a lot of like you said. It does lots of little like just brief asides like the guy in the airport whose shoes just suddenly start on fire because they need a getaway there's there's many so many of those that sometimes it's it was a little bit distracting um especially when i jumped between the agent um who was trying to get away but i think i mean i love the the scenes with irv and mm -hmm. his wife uh were really nice and cozy in some places i mean until they get shot <laughs> yeah no that um the grandparents like you know the substitute grandparents on the farmstead that's that's very nice it's a it's like a, a coziness in the middle of a firestorm I, I enjoy those i enjoy uh you know mixing the genres like in between a book having a nice little getaway yeah, having a bit yeah, the the shot of a human interlude. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then until you kill them, yeah, nice. yeah. I'm I'm curious to to hear what you think. What you think happened to Charlie next at the end? So, uh, I mean, I mean, spoiler yeah. alert for a book that's nearly fifty years old. But obviously, he, she goes off to to tell her story. Yeah. Do you know, I one of the reasons why I like this book. I the first time I read it. Um, I think I was like 22, 23. And I read that end page is like, like offices of Rolling Stone. I'm like, oh shit, that's still like a good choice. Like even today, like you're like, that is smart. Like I picked up the pencil again. <laughs> um, that is a, I, I can't, I don't know whether that is some, kind of uh augury of stephen king like he 
could spot that this publication had a longevity to it and it would still be a very good publication for nonpartisan, you know, kind of reporting. What did Charlie do afterwards? You know, I mean, I remember, I remember the passage where the agents aren't worried about Charlie Tolkien because they have like have a 90% there's a 90% chance that Charlie's going to commit suicide so they won't have to worry about Tolkien I was like yeah that that'd be it yeah because <laughs> King better. himself said he he sometimes imagined Charlie ending up meeting Danny Torrance when they're both a bit older mm-hmm. and them getting married and moving to Salem's Lot I mean, I think he was sort of running with that as the idea came into his head and whenever he got asked that question. But she's one of those characters that I feel like he, he could bring back and do something really interesting with. But but I, I, I don't know. But I don't know whether... Her sleep redo, huh? Yeah. And like he showed, he showed he could do it fairly well with that. And I'd, be, I'd certainly be intrigued to see what she was getting up to, assuming she'd, she'd survived. That is a great question. I think she definitely would have survived because she didn't go through all that shit just to kill herself. But then you wonder if her powers grew. Like she wasn't even a teenager. Mm. So, you know, if we're following X-Men logic, everybody booms in their, like, powers when they're 13 or become of age. So you wonder... So my first question would be, like, what... Like, did her powers escalate or that would be like, I think, one of the better indications as to what happened to Charlie McGee. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair. Okay. I wanted to ask you briefly about the, the adaptation. You obviously, you mentioned the, um, the 84 one mm-hmm. and we had the, the, um, the Zac Efron, um, remake. I know he didn't remake it, but he was, he was, he was, uh, Daddy McGee in that one in, in 2022. Like, are you, are you, are you fans of? either both none of them like yeah, what would you i think? mean the 84 one was just <laughs> uh i think and it had like that coziness that i loved with the um on herb and what is his wife's name norma i think so yeah <laughs> that sounds um but i think if i could like take one so the the 2022 remake how was it was a very it left it left the book a little bit. Um, if I could take one thing out of the 2022 and like stick it in the 84, it is that the actor of John Rainbird was so good. My he, like gray eyes. Yes, he was phenomenal. And he brought like a real darkness to the character that was really more... I, forget, I cannot recall the name of the original, like, 1984 John Rainbird actor. But, but Michael Gray, I was at, actually a, uh, an indigenous American. Yes, he well. didn't brown face it, yeah. yeah. It was the 80s, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I very much appreciated his, like, I don't know whether it was the script that was written that way or his take on it, but the original actor really there was a um, he was almost a jovial character you know he was very um he wasn't he wasn't dark he was like another surrogate grandpa which is what he was trying to be to charlie like for her to trust him but um i really liked gray eyes's interpretation and i think it was the best part of that remake yeah yeah no i think i think that's fair i i i did actually like probably about the first 40 minutes or so where we got to see a bit more of, of the Mickeys at home. I did enjoy it. It had a lot more Vicky, didn't it? It was yeah. it was nice to see Vicky a little bit more. I mean, sorry, Heather Locklear, original Vicky. Um, but it I liked it, but I also didn't. Okay. I don't know what to say. I can't remember that much of her in the book. And I guess they were really trying to anchor charlie to you know a feminine like the loss of a parent which makes sense but then you only had like another like 50 minutes of movie yeah 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 so so last question on firestarter then like um i want you to give me a 
a three-word summary, a three-word review that you think could convince somebody who's never given Firestarter a go to go and pick it up and read it? Try it so hard. So I think my first thought would be like, cozy grandparents, fascinated. So it's one word. Um, I liked I liked your Daddy Mickey. <laughs> yeah, we hyphenated that one as well. That's a that's a good one. Um, and the last word I guess would be like dynamite. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was gonna. You need something explosive in there, don't you? Right? Yeah. Cool. Okay, great. Well, um, Rowan, thank you for that. That was that was a really fun um chat about Firestarter. And we are we are almost done. The um the test that isn't a test isn't is almost over. But before I let you go, there's one more thing we need to do, and it's not it's not an optional thing. This is more just a warning of like this is happening, and we're we're doing it before we wrap this up. So we've got to go through the uh, the quick fire nineteen question king challenge. So um yeah, are you, are you ready to give it a try? Thanks, Huck. Okay. Cool. So this is this is just the quick fire round that I'm ending all of these uh these chats with. You don't need to give me any explanation at all. We can just bang, 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 rapid fire through them. Um, I'm just curious to hear, hear what your answers are. So um, let's just give it a try. So what was your what was your first King book that you read? Firestar. Okay. And what's the most recent King book that you've read? It's a short story called The Jaunt. An excellent one. You did, yeah. You would... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, very science. it wasn't horror at all. It was definitely science fiction with just a, like, horrific ending i was gonna say saying it's not horror at all i was like well yeah until until the last bit but yeah um what's your well i think i know the answer to this but i'll ask anyway what's what's your all-time favorite king dr sleep oh okay careful nice um and what about your all-time least favorite if you have one mommy knockers fair i don't know what do you think is king's most underrated book and I think I pass. I I don't think that there is any work of his that comes out and people like does not have someone who like when we say underrated is like, oh, somebody doesn't appreciate this. I think every I think I don't think he can put out a book that or a short story that does not gain immediate like recognition and celebration. I, I don't think he has an underrated book. It's not to say that none of his work is, like, that all of his work is stellar. I just think he has such a wide handle on the market that somebody will, like, somebody will love it. I get that. Okay. Um, so thinking in terms of cover artwork, which mm-hmm. which King book has your favorite cover artwork? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So simple. So simple. The original. I love it. It's like doesn't it doesn't appear in the story at all. Um no, totally no. confusing. But yeah. What is this guy? This guy is like got a beak with teeth. What is that? Yeah. Uh, and then like there's Luke nice. Luke Skywalker with him. Yeah. I mean this post apocalyptic scene can definitely be like, you know, the deserts of Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um but uh yeah, it's like a sickle like i think that's supposed to be death like a medieval death and i don't know but yes i i like it i love this and most probably because of my connection to this book which uh obviously the like first edition and my Mm -hmm. grandmother passed it down okay what about your your least favorite ink cover the original cover of harry was Mm. did not do the book justice no. It was, it was, no good. It was not exciting. It was, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, what's the what's the Warren King book you could recommend to anyone? Night Shift. Okay. Yeah. What's curious on this one, given given your route into King? What's what's your favorite King adaptation? Okay. So I would say, I mean the. Doctor Sleep was so cathartic for me personally. Like that ending was just like, oh yeah. However, I will say, did you ever watch the TV show Haven? It's it's on my list. I've got season one. I found it on DVD, and I'm I'm I know it's like chock full of Easter eggs. So I'm really looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I 
again, did not realize that it was a Stephen King adaptation, like taken from uh, The Colorado Kid. But I binged that entire series. <laughs> it was so fun. Okay. Yes. Okay. I would give honorable mention to Doctor the like Doctor Sleep. I mean, I think that was every character in that was so good. Mm. Yeah. What about your least favorite adaptation? Tommy Knockers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. Again, um, which King character would you most like to have make a make a cameo in your own work stephen king as a person <laughs> nice yeah i like that yeah well he he is a character in one of his books he is right? a character and you have to wonder what is it like to like be known for an entire genre mm. like not just like oh yeah like mary shelley you know created frankenstein no stephen king and the genre of horror like what was life for joe hill when he was growing up that is that is what I premised my book on. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. I'm I'm even more intrigued now. Um, which which King book or story would you say is perhaps most similar to your style of writing? Okay, I would ask this of you because I would say I I will freely admit that I have not read all of Stephen King's works. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm constantly like every time your feed pops, I'm like oh yeah, I haven't read Revival yet or The Institute. There's like so many, like his, something's coming up. Like there's always a book I haven't read of his. So I would ask this of you because you have both read my book and his book. And I actually have had a reviewer uh, who I very much value said like, oh, this is like a Stephen King. And I'm like, oh, I mean, thank you. But also like the pressure. So I would ask this of you. Oh, okay, okay, tough. I mean, I already mentioned I got I got some Gerald's Game vibes mm-hmm. for quite a lot of in the artist's son, but then uh, towards the end, funny you mentioned revival actually, because revival would be one. The way that that book is a sort of three quarters slow burn, and then a final quarter of like, wow, what the hell is happening here? Um, mm-hmm. So may, maybe that one. I mean, I, 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 I definitely would plump for sort of 90s onwards because I think, I mean, 90s King is my favorite decade of his. And I think that's where he had the confidence to just do what he wanted. He'd really nailed this sort of human, real life relationship building drama stuff, but can still pull out some really dark, weird yeah. stuff at the same time. He had like Lizzie's story and you're right, he did do a lot more human. Yeah. Okay. A revival. I will have to read it now. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if I so for this one, I just want you to give me one king book for each of these categories. So I want one that you would keep forever, one that you would read only once and then never think about again, um, and one that you would delete from existence. All right. Uh, keep would be Salem's Lot. Okay. Read once. Revival. I'll read it. <laughs> Who has time? Who has time to read stories? <laughs> and I think delete from existence would be insomnia. Okay. Okay. I hope that's right or wrong. I think it depends how much of a dark tower head you are. But uh... yeah, no way. Fair enough. Fair enough. And um, okay, we're, we're into the the final five of the nineteen question challenge. This is just a quick either or. So again, no no explanation needed. Just give me one or the other. So, um, the book or the movie? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the stand or it? The stand. Would you rather take a holiday in Derry or spend a night at the Overlook? The Overlook. Short story or full novel? Short story. And lastly, would you rather go for walkies with Cujo or have a weekend away with Annie Wilkes? I could change Cujo. <laughs> I could change him. <laughs> he was a good boy. He was a good boy. It wasn't his fault. Okay, great. There we go. That's done. We're, we are all, we're all done. The 19 questions are done. The king chat is done. The test is over. You've passed with flying colors. Um, I'm feeling okay. Yeah, feeling good. Okay. Well, thank, thank you so much um, for doing this. It's been a really fun chat. And um, before we go, like I just want to put it over to you for you to do plugging of where people can find your stuff and where they can find you all of those things 
I got stuff. It's on my website. Go to my website. <laughs> it's like the repository. Uh, for 2023, I have some things coming out, and I can't say what yet. So, I don't know. If you're really interested in my stuff, you'll find it. <laughs> okay, good. Is that okay. is that too bravado? <laughs> Bit of mystery. No, I like it. Like, and, and what is your website? Just I don't know. I mean, I'll put it in the description, but you may as well say it. Writerrowanhill.com. I don't know. I look on my I look on my, my like stats every month or so. And it's like most people go to the about section. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like I have to like write more interesting things about me. Like become like the Carmen San Diego kind of version of myself. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, there you go. There's, there's, there's some writing you can do in 2023 while you're waiting for other ideas to write my biography. That's depressing. <laughs> Maybe we should end on that note. Um, Rowan, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate that. that was thank you, Dave. This was fun. This was, this was not a test. This was very fun. Good luck with the, all the rest of them. So there we go. Huge thanks to Rowan for her time and for all her wise words. Um, really, really enjoyed that conversation, as you could probably tell. And if you've got this far, thanks for sticking this far. Don't forget to check the description for all the links to Rowan and her work and links to my things that you can pick up as well, like my quiz book and the newsletter you can sign up for. And of course, stick around with this podcast because season one has one more episode left. And I'm going to tell you now, it's a good one. It's a writer who doesn't just like Stephen King, has actually worked with Stephen King. Heck, is even friends with Stephen King. So do stick around for that one final, for now at least, that one final constant writer coming to you very, very soon.